This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 23, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The war on drugs is a dead metaphor if you ask the Obama administration, but the war rages on, both in the U.S. and abroad. That from Neil Franklin, executive director of law enforcement against prohibition. He argues that if the war on drugs were over, the president would have already brought the troops home. When you're fighting a war on drugs, uh, whether or not it's been declared dead or not, um, isn't it sort of just baked into the cake that you have to use these very intense types of tactics like SWAT raids to, to fight the fight? I started my um, undercover drug work back in the end of the 1970s, going into 1980. And back then, the narcotics agency, undercover guys, were very much involved in, in the cases. And what I mean by that, when it came time to serve a search warrant on someone's home, that agent was involved. They went on a raid. You know, they identified the home, you know, because sometimes we— we hit the wrong homes nowadays, but uh, they're pretty much involved. And this is important because your, your reconnaissance is, is extremely important. You have to know what the people are about. Are they armed? Do they carry guns? Do they have dogs? Do they have kids in the home? What's their temperament? Are they violent people? Are they not violent people? And having that information is critical because Back then in the early 80s, that's how we decided how our entry would be, okay? Would it be a no-knock warrant? Would it be a a knock warrant? Um, So we made those decisions. If we knew that there was the possibility of violence, then it would be a no-knock warrant. We would also then employ the SWAT team to make the entry. However, if we had the information, the large majority of your warrant served, were nonviolent, no guns involved, you know, and just no uh, propensity for violence. So it would actually be mainly the undercover guys, along with a few uniformed folks, to serve the search warrant. And it would be very calm. We'd go in, we'd say, hey, you know who we are, you know why we're here, you secure the people, the, you know, the residents and so on, do your search and, you know, conduct your business. And they were very safe. What has happened, because the drug culture has become more violent, for instance, back then we used to do our business as undercover agents not even carrying a gun. It's unheard of today. We didn't have backup. That's unheard of today. An undercover agent today has a gun and they have backup somewhere close by because of the violence. So what we've done in law enforcement is we've just painted everything with one broad brush of possible violence. So now every entry we do, we use the SWAT team. You know, we, we don't take the time. And I'm, I'm not saying this is for every law enforcement agency and every unit that, that does these. I'm just saying more times than not, we don't take the time to identify those issues surrounding, okay, is it going to be violence? Will it not be violence? And then deciding from there what's the best course of action for making the entry. So a presumption essentially has been created by a lot of the drug culture. Absolutely. So uh, we talked earlier, President Obama and uh, his drug czar, uh, Gil Kurlikowski, declared an end to the war on drugs. We joked earlier, but it it seems clear that at least they're trying to drop the metaphor 
Does that have any functional value, dropping that metaphor of the war on drugs? No, you can, you can rename the game all you want. The bottom line is, where's your money going? And for the most part, two-thirds of their money is still going, as it was in the past, to law enforcement and enforcement efforts. You know, uh, money going to Mexico for enforcement efforts. Same thing here in the United States. Only a third is going towards education and treatment and other little things as well. So it's not that third isn't even totally dedicated to education and treatment. But here's the here's question. What do you do? What do you do when you end a war? One of the first things you do is stop fighting. Soon after that, you start bringing troops home. I think we're starting to do that now. Uh, you know, I think Obama's starting to bring some troops home now. What else do you do? You, well, you stop taking prisoners. And you evaluate the prisoners that you have to determine whether or not they should be released. You also start healing the territory. You're healing the country, healing the neighborhood or the community. You start rebuilding. I don't see any of that. So, yeah, you can change the metaphor all you want. You can change the words or the title all you want. But, you know, what's that saying? The proof is in the pudding? Well, I don't see the proof. People forget that prohibition ended in part because the federal government needed money. And uh, is, is, yeah. are we facing a similar opportunity right now? That is, uh, we're in a spot where, at least with regards to uh, marijuana, a lot of states are taking the initiative to step down in, in their individual fight against that uh, drug as a crime issue. Is the federal government here, do they have an opportunity then to uh, perhaps uh, step down and uh, bring in some money? Well, money, the great motivator. Let's talk about that for a second. The power of money. You see, the drug war, just like prohibition, had so many other things that were quite evident before money even came into the picture. For instance, with our drug war right now, we have the disparity issue surrounding the folks who go to prison overwhelmingly. By a large amount, I think it's like 10 to 1 blacks go to prison before whites for the same drug-related crimes. Let's move on. The violence that we have in our communities. You know, it's not just among the drug dealers. Innocent people get caught up in this. The cops have to go out there every day and fight in this war and they lose their lives. They get hurt. Innocent kids, every time there's a gunshot, they're ducking. You know, they're hiding in bathtubs. And every once in a while, one of them succumb to the gunfire, you know, from the, the drive-by shootings and running gun battles we have in our streets. In Baltimore City in 2002, the Dawson family, entire family of seven, were murdered at the hands of one drug dealer because the mother was inter interfering with his market share as she worked with the police. He set their home on fire in the middle of the night. So, and I could go on and on and on, you know, the dropout rates that we have because young boys and women want to enter into the subculture, this illegal drug market, and try to make some money. And the list goes on. But money... It is money that is changing the name of the game now. It is because we in the United States and, and our communities and our coffers are bare, and we see an opportunity to fill them now with money if we change our drug policies. You know, yes, money is important because we need money to make things happen in this world. But we've been having all of these other issues that I mentioned and then some way before money became an issue.
But now, money's the great motivator. To what extent are states ultimately, you think, going to lead the way on ending the war on drugs? You see, I think, first of all, that states are more in touch with the people than our federal government. And anytime there's a significant change, not just in our country, but typically in any uh, country or government or, or, or um, culture, it's the people. And what we have now in California, it's the people saying that we've had enough and we want to change our policies surrounding marijuana. Therefore, we are moving in a direction to legalize marijuana in our state. It's not the legislators. You know, that, that Proposition 19, that was the people. That was the signatures that they put on a piece of paper saying, we're ready for this to happen. Put it on a ballot and we're going to vote for it. You know, because our legislators, they're not living up to what they're paid to do. They're not living up to what they're voted in office to do. Even seeing the trend, because, you know, if it doesn't pass this year, it's going to go in 212. And if by some strange chance it doesn't go in 212, it's going to go two years after that. Along with other states, they're going to follow suit because people have had enough. And this is what gets to me. How can you not see that as a policymaker? How can you not see that as one of our senators or or Congress people, and you sit back and you don't even move forward with, with drafting policy, with drafting regulation for the control of these substances because they're going to become legal whether the federal, federal government wants them to or not because, you know, they can have their laws, but when the states move, you know, the federal government's not going to go in and start arresting states and their legislators and what have you. And it's just not going to happen. The federal government's going to change. But these policymakers, why don't they just take the initiative and start moving forward and be prepared with good regulation and control for marijuana when it becomes legal? Don't wait for it to become legal and then be scrambling, trying to figure out, okay, how do we regulate it? Be out in front. Don't be behind the curve on this. Given the statements of uh, former Mexican President Vicente Fox, uh, and as he watches the violence in his own country, how much pressure is that going to exert on U.S. policymakers? I know that this issue is sort of wrapped up in immigration, at least rhetorically. Uh, do you see do you see any pressure there being exerted on U.S. policymakers to maybe consider a different policy? Well, it's starting <clears throat> because. Uh, Calderon, he's been there for almost four years now, he um, has even said that, you know what, maybe it is time for a debate on this because I've lost over 28,000 people since I've been running this country. Yeah, maybe it is time. I think they're averaging somewhere around 50 people a day being murdered in Mexico right now. July, it was 1,234. But both Fox and Calderon have made it very clear that uh, it is the U.S. policies oh, yeah. that are driving the violence in Mexico and now spilling across the border in the U.S. Of course. Yeah, it's quite clear. And not just for Mexico, you know, the our policy here in the U- U.S., we have great influence over countries worldwide. So it's not just Mexico. Uh, we have great influence over the U.N. and, 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 and the formation and, and of their drug policies. So if the U.S. decides to ever move forward, you know, in changing our drug policies, reforming our drug policies, the rest of the world is going to benefit greatly, especially Mexico. 
Neil Franklin is executive director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. You can read more on drug prohibition and the war on drugs at our website, cato.org.